I've had two drinks, so this is going to be the most entertaining episode of Outrageous ever. Uh, well, since you can't articulate words, this is going to be a real problem. Okay. Oh my you, God. Know <laughs> you know what? Me, on my tipsiest day, is uh-huh. most people on their most sober. So I'm fine. I think I'm, I'm not sure about that, but I think you'll... Well, you know, there's one well. way to find out. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris, I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in LA. Hello! Hi, you need to calm down with the mic, you're like... (laughs) (laughs) It's comfortably away from me, I need to but I don't need to. Trisha, we have not spoken in forever, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I just came back from a conference in, in Vegas. And every time I go to Vegas. In, wait, wait. In Vegas. I like that. I like, <laughs> I like the tone what? shift. Every time I'm in Vegas, I look around and I think to myself, why is this a popular place? Because I'm done with Vegas in a day. You don't know why it's a popular place? I don't know. I don't know why people, why it resonates with people. I mean, is it the buffets? The $42 all-you-can-eat extravaganza shows, I guess, maybe? You know. I, I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it when we were – remember when we were there a couple of years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Um, you know what it reminds me of? It's going to be really obscure. Like a hard tale where, like, something's, like, really fancy, but underneath it's, like, rotting and decrepit. Sort of like Stephen King's It. You know, like that clown is supposed to be a lot of fun, but you get too close and has a weird smell. You notice there's mildew under his makeup. <laughs> like that's how I feel about Las Vegas. Well, that's kind of is what it is. Really, I mean, really it's shiny. Seed. Yeah. But when you when you look into the corners, it's gross. It's like really gross. Well, you know, my thing about Vegas though is kind of the ever-present alcohol. Like uh, Vegas well, is the only place yeah. where you have permission to just walk around the streets with alcohol. So, you know, they, so you have stores that like Taco Bell was advertising cocktails. I was like, Taco Bell and cocktails? What? <laughs> so it was just that kind of experience. Like, and then there, 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 there's this ad that was around constantly. I mean, I saw it everywhere. It was like, two, buy two drinks, get a, a, a shot for free. What a weird experience this thing is. You know what I mean? It's a town filled with all the things that people tell you not to do, which is casually drinking throughout the day as you move through the streets and gambling like crazy. I went to a conference in Atlantic city recently and that is, that's full gross. Like that's full. It's not as appealing. Yeah. Full, like just full, like there's something dark happening right under the surface, like full (laughs) bodies floating underneath the dock. Like that is the vibe that Atlantic City gives you. Uh, And I feel like Vegas is the same way. It might have actually gotten over the top if I'd been able to fulfill my dream of watching the Backstreet Boys in concert, but they were going to go out on Thursday night and I was leaving. So I couldn't stay an extra night just to see the Backstreet Boys. But, you know. That might have saved Vegas, I think. Really? The Backstreet Boys? That's your jam? Well, you know, I was looking for, like, that nostalgia moment. But then I was thinking to myself, would I just feel weird sitting up there, like... With all the other middle-aged women going, (laughs) yeah, Howie, or whatever. Listen, don't pretend that you are not a Backstreet Boys fan. 
Is that moment coming back? Do you think ever? No. Do you think that moment is ever coming back? Like our craze what, with what part well, of the moment? Like think about like the boy band craze, right? We had that. We had that in with the Beatles and the Jackson Five to some degree, and then we had it again with the Backstreet Boys and Sync, B Two K, New Edition. I mean, New Edition was earlier than B Two K and Backstreet Boys yeah. and Sync. But I, do you think that's is that on rotation? I can't. We did I, you it, know what? I mean, I we guess. did it in the sixties. We did it in the nineties. Are we doing it now? And you think it's I mean, coming back? Have have adolescent girls changed? I don't know. I'm assuming. I guess I'm assuming that won't go away. I mean, there are kids that get excited about. I mean, didn't we have a little bit of it with Justin Bieber? Not with a band, but with a person. So I'm assuming there's still room for that. It just feels like that formula is so obvious now. I mean, I just don't know it's, if, it, uh, if, the, if we, it's never stopped them before. The obvious. Well, this, is, this is the question. I mean, teenagers are just far savvier now with their technology consumption. So I just don't know. But you know what? Aren't those? Uh, aren't they still the rage in sort of Asian countries? Like well, K- K-pop. K-pop. Yeah. So huge. K-pop, and that continues to resonate. So I, I guess I can't see why it wouldn't. Let us keep going. So right now we are being joined by our very best friend, oh, Jessica, Hi, uh, who is a writer and just enjoys her life in <laughs> Los Angeles. Jessica, welcome to Outrageous. Oh, thank you guys. I'm so happy to be here. We asked Jessica on uh, <laughs> because one, we we want to get more guest hosts on. And two, Jessica knows a lot about entertainment. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but Jessica, before you joined us, Trish and I were talking about Vegas. So how do you, how do you weigh in on Vegas? Love it? Hate it? Hate it. I'm not, yeah, no, 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 no reason. You know, there's no reason. Even when I've gone, I'll go with the idea like, oh, maybe I'll see a show or maybe I'll hang by the pool. And then I'm there and I'm just depressed. The entire It's gross. Time. Right? It's, it's gross. gross. It is. It's gross. Humanity yeah. sucks. Like you're just watching people like plug their money away. You know that like grandma is losing the house. It just makes me sad. Yeah. Makes me sad. <laughs> I'm against. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a con. You're, I'm a con you're, Vegas. you're against Vegas. Well, I. I think we agree. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I think we agree. Vegas I, is gross. No one go. That's my anti recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Vegas. You know what's so sad about it, though? It clearly, its magic has not worked on us. Like, you know what I mean? Like I said in in the earlier segment, I think the magic works if you're from Utah, South Dakota, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, all those places around there. Mm -hmm. I mean, coming from New York and L.A., like the glitz of Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. we can Mm -hmm. see. Like we have real glitz where we live, like actual yeah. glitz. Yeah, and I don't. Vegas is trying to like be fake glitz, and I yes, it immediately. It feels very manufactured to me. I don't like that manufactured experience. I, I prefer to sort of experience something on my own, and I don't yeah. like this sort of curated experience. Okay, you're going to go to you know see. I don't know Excalibur or something, right? And you're going to have this mm. faux middle. Ages, I don't even know. I don't even know what's <laughs> like, 
I mean, I don't get it. I guess maybe that's the other part. It's like, you know, I'm looking at that's it. That's also it's like so horrible. The, the sort of touristical whiplash that happens. Mm-hmm. Like, look over there, dancing waters. Now look over here, uh, the Statue of Liberty. Now look over here, a beautiful black pyramid. Now look over here, titties. Like, it's yes. just- Can we just talk, why is there a roller coaster on top of New York, New York? I think it's like I think it's an attempt to create like a Coney Island experience, right? That's a little no idea. I feel like Vegas keeps trying these different marketing tools, right? And I think the '90s was the you know Vegas is for the family, and then about ten years ago there was that foodie revolution where they were all getting celebrity chefs in. So I do feel like every ten years they try some sort of new marketing thing that's just not sticking. And it piles on top. I think the, the new one now is like. You know, it's for sluts. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. now they're like, they're like, fuck families. <laughs> uh, Except no one told the families. No one told the families. So they still come. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you've got like family vacation and then they're still selling you on the what happens in Vegas. <laughs> stays in Vegas. They're like, they're like, show up, get complimentary STDs at the airport. Oh, how brutal. I'm just saying, I mean, that's better than what happens on United flights now. Okay. So we've been on a break. We've been on a break. I just want to acknowledge that a lot has happened in the world. Like, mm. you know, United airlines is full on fight club now. Uh, <laughs> like Trump continues to be nonstop. Absolutely insane. Dropping um, bombs. Now dropping bombs. Dropping the bombs mother of all right. bombs. Don Spicer doesn't know <laughs> what's going killer. on. I heard that, yeah. Like, it's, the world is absolutely coming apart. Trump said the other day that after listening for 10 minutes, he came to the conclusion North Korea is very complicated. Um, <laughs> I have to agree. I have oh. to agree. I, I mean, I think, I think he's absolutely right. Um, I mean, I knew that before. And also, I'm not president, but whatever. Um, My favorite is when he decided to uh, drop the Syrian bombs or, you know, to do the airfield uh, after having a nice chocolate cake. Yeah. uh, I mean, details coming out. He had more detail about the cake, though, guys. He did. That was like (laughs) the crazy part of the whole thing. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of really terrible things happen. There was a school shooting. The first Mm, African-American judge in New York, the highest court in New York was just found murdered or so killed. Do you guys think, no, no, suicide. suicide. Or they suicide. say it was suicide. Uh, see, she was also a Muslim, which is interesting because the initial news reports noted that. Later news reports did not. Uh, mm. Just that how are people American? How are people receiving it in New York? Because the the way that it's rolling out is very confusing mm-hmm. nationwide. It's still it's, confusing. You know, it's, it's, the, okay. the details are the details are still coming in. And and the other thing that's terrible in the world is that there are Chechnyan death camps or, or torture camps for gay men, which is horrible. I bring all these things up. Are those to, like Nazis? Are those are those like Holocaust centers? I can't with that either. With Sean Spicer and his Holocaust centers. <laughs> Come on down yeah. to the Holocaust then. Anyway, I bring all this up to say we're not talking about it um, because <laughs> I know we've been gone for a month, but we literally don't have time. Uh, we are going to talk about some other things. We're going to jump into a topic right now, so stick with us. Uh, so what we're going to talk about is diversity in comics. 
So, uh, which is an idea that Jessica had. I cannot wait to explore this. So, <clears throat> Marvel Comics recently has seen an influx of female and per, uh, people of color in their in, in their comics. Like there was an African American female Iron Man, Iron Person. I don't know what she goes by. Her name is Riri. So that's fun. Uh, <laughs> Spider Man has been reimagined as a Latino teenager named Miles Morales, and uh, these and and also there's a female Thor. Or there was a female Thor. Anyway, um, when interviewed about this, Marvel's VP of sales, David Gabriel, was quick to point out that sales have been slumping because, as he put it, diversity is not what comic book readers want. And they said, we've tried female characters. It's not what the public wants. Uh, You know, whether we agree or not, that's just not what people want. Um, And he says that inclusion is, um, is what's flopping on the shelves um which is interesting because then we look at things like ghost in the shell the movie ghost in the shell and the movie great wall which had tanked and a lot of people think it's because of the that we are sick of whitewashing tactics so it just like there's a tension there like which one is it is the public's appetite for diversity is it satisfied or is it overindulged are people starving for these stories or they've had enough of it what do you guys think trish Well, you know, I actually, I went and I took a look at um, the Fuller interview, which by the way, if you go back to the interview now um, with Gabriel, he- Oh, it's annotated now. It's that, yeah, clarified. Yeah, he clarified. Please come back to fix what he said, but go on. He's clarified. (laughs) But, um, you know, I'm not necessarily a massive comic book follower, but it seems to me, though, that larger trends were at play beyond diversity. Mm-hmm. Like, in just in terms of story construction, the fact that people felt like um, there wasn't anything engaging happening in comics in general, besides diversity, just in terms of plot. Um, and, and, and I think also the way that um, the characters were developing both in the comics as well as how they sort of um, translated on screen. So it seemed like people felt like, that was the place for us to explore what was going wrong. And then also, he also admitted, which is so strange, he admitted in the context of that interview that the cultural landscape had changed. Like, you know, like he, I guess they were expected to make a ton of money in November, but people didn't feel like spending money after the elections because I guess they were exhausted. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) It wasn't even, yeah. I mean, they were saying it was October coming into November. So it was that fourth quarter, but that's exactly when that election happened. And I do think that there was in general, just the economic engine of the United States at that period of time, they nobody was spending money. That was a big thing. I don't know if you guys remember that, but they said that, um, people were so anxious uh, that we just weren't spending. So that's that's not shocking. I also didn't find it shocking that um, suddenly there was this question. And I don't know if you guys dug a little deeper in that link that I had sent you, but there was a part one and a part two. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but this this came out during, um, he had been, that whole statement was based on a clarification of something that had been said at this conference that they were having with um, 14 distributors, retailers, and the sort of independent market markets that Diamond Comics, which is a comic distributor, uh, is sort of the wholesaler toward too. So um, they were talking to private comic book sellers. And so they were getting this feedback. They sort of wanted feedback from their uh, 
from their distributors about what was happening on their shelves. And what was interesting was it was a red and blue thing. Some of the distributors were saying, you know, uh, my readers are coming in and, you know, they're not, they're not buying as much. They're, they're, they're unhappy. And then the other half were standing up and saying, we might not be selling through as many units, but I've got more people coming into the store. And I like that. I like that we can get different and a new generation of comic book readers. And so there seemed to have been this tension between the idea of making the fan base happy, the people that are already there, and the idea that you can draw new people into the store and they just haven't actually found that middle ground yet. So that seemed to be what he was talking about or what they were talking about initially. I was a comic book reader for over three decades, right? I read Marvel. I read DC. I was really into it. Went to Comic-Con several times. I followed all these people on all their media. Um, There are reasons why comic book sales are not where they were. Uh, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it used to be that, I mean, books are like this too. Mm -hmm. All of media is like this because it's also bifurcated now, but like, you know, it used to be like you could sell like thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of comics. But, you know, meanwhile, like a top selling comic now is like 100,000, com- 100,000, yeah. 150,000 in the entire right. country is the number one book in the country. You know, when it used to be that Superman would sell like a million copies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of reasons why comic books are not doing as well. I mean, one, the economic time. Two, I mean, these publishers continue continue to seek and please customers who have been customers for a very long time and ignoring new and emerging markets, which is what, you know, which is what, when Gabriel made these statements, like how tone deaf is that, Mm. you know? And also when he's saying that, like, it's like you're saying, Jessica, like he was at this conference and he's talking to comic book retailers. Mm -hmm. Listen, going in and out of comic book stores for the past 30 years, I know who these people are who run these stores mm-hmm. and you know, the, what they want is they want the comics they read when they were young boys, right? Which is code for the flash is white. Green lanterns, white, you know, the five initial X-Men are white. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's a man. Everyone's mm-hmm. Superman, the Batman, the, like, everyone is a man. Um, and that's it. And the women are scantily clad. One woman's in a bikini. And that's what I want to see. Right. So when they when they speak back to the publishers, they're like, well, yeah, it's 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 a whole wild thing. Mm-hmm. But I've been in these comic book stores and these conversations are happening. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so that said, there's a lot of reasons why it, it's going down. But what I want to shift to is this that like, you know, these statements, I think, are whatever. Like the comic book industry is sclerotic, mm-hmm. honestly, like it's dying out. But in this current age, comic books have launched like these movies, right. toys, books, TV. There are currently, I heard this today, there are currently right now on TV, it was either between 12 and 19 shows based on comic books on TV mm. right now. On top of that, there are multiple movies that have brought in the past 10 years for over $4 billion. Mm-hmm. So like the industry is important. So I, I'm just trying to understand the tension between like them saying like we have too much diversity in comics, yet, like I said, we are targeting movies that don't have people of color at all and tearing them down at the box office. Mm-hmm. So which which one is it? Where do you see that, Jessica? Yeah, I think that's interesting because um, 
I really hadn't looked too much into uh, Ghost in the Shell. I had heard about the the kerfuffle about, around it, and that, and I didn't really know anything about it other than it had been a graphic novel that had been made into a movie. And so at first, my thought was, well, is this one of those things where people are wedded to the first thing, right? Like, like Ghostbusters, right? Ghostbusters is only men. Like, it can't be anything else. It can only be men, and you're, you know, you are ruining my childhood. Um, so there's a little bit of that that kind of goes into it. Same thing with the comic book industry, as you were just saying, this idea that, you know, original fans only want what they knew, what they know. Um, but then what I thought was really interesting about <laughs> the Ghost in the Shell, which is a completely different thing than the Great Wall, um, was that, yeah, Paramount, I don't know what they were thinking, honestly. It did feel like they were just trying to take this idea. I was reading an article that kind of said, you know, if they had put it in LA, maybe it wouldn't have been a problem. If they had, you know, not gotten Rupert Sanders, who was the, the director on it, maybe it wouldn't have been a problem. Maybe if they hadn't got a white guy to write the, the actual um, screenplay, maybe it wouldn't have been a problem. But they were so trying to meet the demands of two markets that they, they just were missing the boat on both. They couldn't really get there. And the same thing with the Great Wall. Great Wall is actually a lot more interesting because it was a co- um, it was a co-production between a Chinese company. China, as you yes. guys may or may not know, is is really trying to get to Hollywood levels within 10 years. And they and they think they can get there. And so with the Great Wall, what they're really trying to do was again meet two different um, audiences, serve two different audience bases. Uh, what I thought was really interesting was the the lead actress in that movie said, you know, it's not about Matt Damon. It was about the idea that a Chinese movie could get a Matt Damon type. If it wasn't Matt Damon, it would have been another white guy. And that the marketing actually uh, to the West screwed that movie over in that it did do the white savior. They marketed it as the white savior story. But and in fact, if you had watched the movie, they said that it's actually two hander and that he's sort of standing around going, Oh my God, look at what these people can do. Look at this army. And it's more of that um, Chinese Eastern culture community, um, the community together communal uh, versus sort of the individual. Um, but again, trying to service two markets, it ended up not being uh, a hit in either one. It's actually doing a lot better in China than it did here. It, it really bombed out here, but it's, I think it's the fourth highest grossing movement movie over there right now. Um, so yeah, so it's doing really well in China. It's actually making back its money. I think it's made 300 uh, million in um, global box office, which means it's made back its film. It's funny, but it's, um, but it's, it just bombed here. And so the, the narrative that Americans are getting is that uh, it's, it's, it's a bomb. It didn't, it didn't work, but uh, financially it was fine. Um, and it was, it was a risk. It was a risky proposition. It was the first movie that they were trying in this, in this way. Um, it won't be the last one and it has a lot to do with the story they think and, and mostly marketing. But um, yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, if it, if it worked the way that Iron Man worked in 2008, when they didn't know that the MCU was going to take off in the way that it did, um, you would see a lot more of these coming along, but it, it, it just didn't, it bombed. Um, or at least it bombed is the narrative on the, on the Hollywood side of it. So mm-hmm. I, um, I think it did bomb here though. I mean, I think the question, oh, it did. you know, the question is um, how, first of all, you cannot assume what goes on in Asia matters, mm-hmm. matters in the U S right. Because the population is really different. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like we, you know, we joked about United, but you know, people, instead of going to Asian Americans to ask about that passenger, they went to Asia, 
to talk about that passenger. Mm. I mean, identity doesn't play out in the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are not going to know that this was the key marketing ploy for the Chinese movie industry mm-hmm. to enter the American market. And that that's, that's some sort of coup for them to get Matt Damon. We see Matt Damon everywhere. He's not a coup. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we don't, we're not going to sort of conceptualize it in the same way. Right, right, right. So so would, like would, the, you, the, would you agree, Trisha? Trisha, would you, are, are you saying that, leaving Asia out of it for the moment, are you, would you agree that the Great Wall failed because of the controversy over the whitewashing? Of course. In in America, I think it did. I think it's the exact same thing that happened with Ghost in the Shell. I think that, listen, I think that um, maybe this is one of those things that's going to um, constantly be a challenge moving forward is figuring out who you are trying to sell your movie to. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're trying to if you're trying to jockey between two audiences, you might have to just make an artistic choice and stick with that and go for broke and commit to telling a story that you know, that you buy into fully. But if you're sitting around going, well, I can't open this movie without a white actress. So I think, you know, it's just like, I feel like those kinds of questions or um, I think there's just a lot of pushback on that now. Yeah. Like those assumptions, you know what I mean? Like, so it's weird. It's a different challenge I'm assuming for Hollywood. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because what they're, what they're seeing is these big sort of epic movies, whether it's Fast and the Furious 8 or. um, Eight. Can you believe that shit? Fast (laughs) and the Furious 8. You know what? Just a moment for me. So I was walking around and I saw the poster for that movie and it's all like these cars, like these fancy cars and Jeeps, like bursting out of a submarine that's bursting out of the, like the (laughs) ice. I took one look at that and I said, you know what? Fine. It's fine. <laughs> I, I mean, well, you know, my brain was like, the what? Is they're, the they're in the submarine. This- but then I was like, you know what? <laughs> Whatever. But they're the up to number eight. Is this- God the bless car them. Is the, star. <laughs> the, cars are the-, the cars are the stars of those movies. Yes. You're not showing Wait, up so, to those movies. So they were in a submarine. Yes. In a submarine yes. surface and the yes. cars exploded <laughs> out. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, so, Jessica. I'm so sorry. Please continue. No, it's. Um, <laughs> but what they've been seeing for the last, I would say, 12, uh, 15 years, easily, is that uh, China is the second biggest market. Um, mm-hmm. When we are able to get our films in there, um, I think they only leave something like ten or twelve spots for foreign film, and American film is considered foreign film, China, um, into the country. And then a lot of the stories have to have. Well, as you guys probably know, because of um, some of the pushback that certain films have gotten, most recently Beauty and the Beast with sort of the, with the gay storyline, uh, have been pushed away from um, the Chinese market. They, they don't want certain things in. Um, so it's always about trying to find a way to capitalize on the, on the two biggest movie markets. And again, I just think that there is this big ocean of difference between the two cultures and it's, it's incredibly difficult. So even so though maybe you can the, make, maybe the goal is not to make a movie that's going to appeal to the well, 6.5 billion humans on the planet. Yeah. That's not well, yeah, yeah. What's really interesting though, is they did try it with Iron Man three and they also tried, I can't remember now with, 
what the uh, maybe it was a Mission Impossible Mission Impossible film. Um, they did try to do the same thing with both it didn't those, work. and it didn't work because the Chinese were very particular about the scripts and what they could and could not do, and there always has to be some some sort of propaganda piece. Um, included. And of course, those those franchises weren't going to go there. So something like uh, The Great Wall, which is an original IP, intellectual property, um, they can they can mold that story to fit the demands of uh, the Chinese government and what they allow in their movies. Um, but it just didn't it doesn't it doesn't translate. So but you know what? That's what I'm like. You're going to mold a film to fit the Chinese government. Who says that's going to re- resonate with yeah. the American audience? You know what I mean? Well, and, I, and I'll go so far to say American audiences don't like foreign films. So it's really difficult if you're going to try. You're, to you're not going too far to say that. I think that's yeah. pretty much established. Um, so if, it appeal, if it doesn't appeal to us first, uh, you know. You know what? What's what upsets the me about the whole thing is just like the sort of yet again like the centering and acceptance of white supremacy. Just the idea that we can make a movie that's going to appeal to Americans and, and Chinese <laughs> and the, not Chinese Americans, but the Chinese, <laughs> like a completely different culture, completely different history on the other side of the planet. And we'll just stick a bunch of white people in there, a couple of Asians, and they should be fine. Mm-hmm. Like that's ridiculous on its <laughs> like absolutely functionally ridiculous. Um, but can so, we go? Can we get back a little bit to the diversity thing? Sure. Yes, that was. Yeah. I was just gonna. So you're doing diversity. my job. Sorry. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> well, because you know what I was, you know what I was wondering, and this sounds really odd because obviously these are art. This is a work of art, right? There's a, economies that are well, triple X. fucking cars bursting out of a submarine, <laughs> bursting out of ice. Magic Mike Two. I don't know. There's a lot. <laughs> so you better start qualifying. Yeah. What is art? I mean, well, I mean, I mean, at some level, though, where is the role for someone having just vision, like a vision of a? I mean, because I essentially what it seems to me is like you're basically we're basically lobbying for kind of like paint by numbers movies, mm-hmm. right? That's or paint by numbers comics, like it's because which is strange to me because I would assume that. Isn't comics and the world of comics, wasn't that sort of like a gateway for people to sort of activate their own imaginations and craft these narratives that maybe couldn't live anywhere else? So it's sort of strange. You're being very generous. Am I being generous? I I mean, mean, it's it's strange to want. Like communicating culture and ideas. I mean, I think you're being very generous about that. I think the artist behind it may have felt that way individually, but I think the industry itself, is very much about putting an idea of the world out there, um, reflecting whatever the creators think or the writers think. Um, I don't want to derail your point, but I. Um, well, the reason I why. Where, the reason, I just, go ahead. The reason ahead. why I'm raising this is because if you think about comics and you think about fanboys and if you think about or and fangirls, what resonated with them was this kind of. Um, I mean, I think Jess and I went to um, WonderCon and I was just wondering, I was just, we were, we were walking around and I just looked at Jess and I was like, man, this is play. Mm-hmm. This was play made into a money-making adventure, mm-hmm. right? And so if you think about even sort of the roots of comics and play, right? And yes, maybe you, you're obviously you're extrapolating and talking about the world in a very specific way. But mm-hmm. this idea then that, you should be pushing back on constructing stories that actually 
taken the imaginations of a young Asian person or the imagination of a young black person or a Latina person or any of that. It just seems like such a bizarre place for comics to go. That I mean, I didn't think that that was their genesis, right? Wasn't their genesis like the notion of like crafting um, uncharted territory, even for them? Again, you're being super generous. Like, do you understand like the, the genesis of comics was like, I mean vis-a-vis like diversity like talking about diversity like it was all white people all of the time and when black people were actually in there they were highly but i'm talking about it but i'm talking about it for the white person for the white person it was a creative endeavor and an escape for them right i mean so why wouldn't that why wouldn't that be allowed for crafters and shapers of today why wouldn't that same freedom to to sort of craft this universe that is magical and strange and different and nuanced and all, why wouldn't that be allowed for the. It's still allowed, but okay. I mean, we're talking about publishers like Marvel and DC, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I mean, this is true, but like I I heard recently that, um, was it Marvel? They wanted to introduce like a black character and there were, an, an entire email string that was made public about how editorial was like, yeah, love the character. Can you just, the shade of her skin just needs to be a <laughs> tone lighter, just a tone, <laughs> just, just a little lighter. So like, instead of like a chocolate, we need like a rich earth color, perhaps. <laughs> like a matter of tone. Meanwhile, fucking apocalypse is blue and purple. <laughs> Nightcrawler is like indigo. You know what? Colossus is made of motherfucking metal. Right, so like that's fine, <laughs> but so, but to your point, Trisha, is that like yeah, it's about fantasy, it's about escapism, but even even in service to those goals, there's a, a world vision being put out there. Mm-hmm. And what's happening now is that I think young people, you want to see yourself in the media you're consuming. And before, um, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, when comics, uh, well, a little earlier than that, when comics were at their heyday. Um, Everyone was consuming it, and it was perfectly acceptable that that girls, that non-white people were consuming it, and it was seen as like, that's fine, because that's the fantasy, right? The fantasy is that all white people are flying around with impossible powers all the time. Um, that's just not going to do it anymore. And I think when it comes to the comic book industry, that's something that they are resisting, because that's a very it's a very conservative industry. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, like it's people who are older than me, people in their fifties and sixties who are remembering the heyday of comics, um, the silver age as it's called in the, in the seventies. Um, and I mean, I don't want to go too far into this because like we're running out of time on this topic, but like there was a moment in time where DC comics was really shaking things up. Like they had green lantern who was like half Mexican they had um, a Green Arrow whose mother was Asian. Um, they, you know, they had like a Flash who was dating a Korean woman, and all these things. And then uh, when the new editorial board caught on, and they were just like, "Nope, we want to bring back everyone from the '70s." All of those white guys came back from the dead, and they killed everyone else. the The new Asian Adam murdered. Right, bring back Ray Palmer, that old white guy who teaches at some white university in the middle of the country. Like, that is a problem with that industry. But I, and I, and I want to tie this to politics in the sense that, like, in this age of Trump, I mean, I, 
I'm seeing this topic as sort of like comics versus movies. Mm -hmm. I feel like the movies I mentioned failed because they did not take diversity into account. Mm -hmm. But, you know, are comics more successful if they don't have people of color in them? Is that really what people want? How can you want something here but not there, especially well, when one feeds the other? Well, they're a different consumption pattern, right? I mean, think about but, it. But a one movie, feeds the other. They do, but a movie's so different. A movie, I'm I'm watching a movie. I'm not see, I'm not reading the comic. But that's a prop. But okay, go on. Do you see what about I mean? That. Like, I think I think that's the issue. That's the tension, isn't it? You wouldn't read the comic. No, because but I, I, it's not doing the thing the movie wants to do. Well, I mean, you, first of all, I you know I, I have my own biases, right? So I'm a movie watcher. It's easier. It's easier. It's an easier path for me. I go in. I spend two hours. I'm watching it. I'm done. Whatever. Comics always feel like um, the the pathway of entry is too deep. You, you know, it's been around a long time. I don't know all the backstory. I just I, I'm just not thinking that that would work for me. So a movie is easily to easy to consume. So I can see why the demands for a movie. And representation would be really different, don't you think, Jess? Like, yeah, the pathway to entry is so low. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's more of a general audience kind of thing. You can, you know, even if you don't know, again, going back to like Iron Man in two thousand and eight, I didn't know who Iron Man was, so I Maybe was going, I. Wow. I was going wow. what? because, wow. yeah, to me that was a deep Marvel cut. I'm like, who? No idea. So I was going for Robert Downey Jr. I was going yep. for uh, John Favreau. I was going for, you know, I wanted to see Robert Downey Jr. put on the space suit. I didn't know exactly what it was. Twice, by the way, just right. <laughs> really into that, the idea that well, Robert Downey Jr. is going to be in this movie. What was interesting to me was that here was a man who was in his 40s at the time. Yep. There was a big question as to whether or not he could pull off this, uh, what was going to be this muscular character um whether his you know serious actor could uh pull that off even though christian bale had already been doing the the, the dark knight series um so i was i was intrigued so i went for those reasons and then i had a blast it was like yeah. so yeah. much fun and, I, and then i was in i was i was addicted i wanted to see i wanted to see what kenneth brana was going to do with that australian guy for some like you know mythic character named thor that looks just really ridiculous with his hat and his hammer um, yeah, you know, and so that's how I was opting in. I was a Archie comics reader when I was a kid, and and yeah, yeah. Are you watching Riverdale? I'm not <gasps> because I I you know what I can only take so much teen fuckery. You know um, what I mean? Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So. It's a little fun, but anyway, um, yeah. So I read Archie comics, and I would read uh, Wonder Woman on occasion, but I you know Wonder Woman in the '80s wasn't anything great. Um, mm -mm. and so, you know, I, I just kind of knew who some of these people were kind of vaguely, um, you know, the Spider-Man cartoons, the Fantastic Four cartoons, the Justice League, the Justice League cartoons in the seventies and eighties. And that was really it. So coming into this universe, um, was really curated for me by, uh, Kevin Feig and, and the MCU. So, um, to which I say, thank you. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the, the ride. So looking forward. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this is interesting because where we are politically right now, looking yeah. forward um, and last words on this. Uh, I, I went to go see a movie recently where there was a promo for a new Pixar or Disney movie, which looked like it was all about a Mexican boy. Yes. Yep. And something to do with the day of the dead. Everyone was painted in that way. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is either the best or the worst time for this movie to come out. Mm. 
and I couldn't really figure out which one it was. Um, uh, anyone who knows the name of that movie, uh, let us know, because I can't remember. Um, the, the point that I want to make, though, is that is now the time for more diversity in movies? Uh, let's leave comics out of it, because I think we've talked enough about comics and the place that they're at. We understand that. But for movies, if Great Wall is failing because they stuck a white guy where clearly Asian people should have been, or Ghost in the Shell, who cast Scarlett Johansson and then in an absolute fuck you to the controversy, messed with the story to further complicate the whitewashing. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to go into it because it's complicated, but like, wow, tone deaf. Um, because those failed, is that because audience want more diversity? What do you think? Final words, Trisha. I don't think they necessarily want more diversity. I think they want their diversity done in a very particular way. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> I, I say more. I told say you. more, ladies. Say I, more. I, I, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily think. Listen, we have Donald Trump as our president, and I'm not say, not to say that you know people are like, oh, not everybody voted, but we get that. But what I am saying though is that I think people are able to consume folks of color in very specific ways in a film. You know, these two ones were real obvious marks, but it doesn't necessarily mean that diversity is really all it's cracked up to be when you see them in movies that are, that remain palatable. Right. Do you know, it doesn't mean that suddenly if you put a black person in a movie or um, an Asian person in a movie, I mean, the reality is John Cho is still not starring in movies. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't really feel like, the movie business is changing in that way. I do think that you cannot do these obvious bits like we we've done in the past, but I think the subtle white supremacy storyline still resonates Mm -hmm. and still works and still is always going to be the top of the heap. And the, the thing that people are are drawn towards, I really believe that. But I think when it's as obvious as this, and people push back at it, that word of mouth will kill your film. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah, I don't think that we want globalization. I think we like diversity, but we want American diversity. We want something that we understand and see in our own backyard. Um, But on top of that, I, I mean, I would even go so far to say that, you know, we like the individualistic chosen one narrative and that chosen one in America is usually a white guy. Um, so unless the story is framed as the chosen one, I mean, think back on all the Will Smith movies back when he was, you know, the guy that was opening every July, he was the chosen one in those films. We like that story. We like the idea that only one, it only takes one person to make a difference and to you know, get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, if we can open our eyes in Hollywood uh, and, and see that you can cast anybody in that chosen one story, that's, that's more important. But, um, but the default will always be that sort of individualistic story that usually is a white guy. Well, there we have it. White people are the tops. So. <laughs> Congratulations, white America. You win. You win again. But I mean, look, look at look at Harry Potter. Look at Katniss Everdeen. I mean, you can you can just follow that thread for the past. Katniss God. Everdeen, who in the book is not clear that she's white, but yeah, the movie. yeah. Or, not clear or, who those or Beauty are. and the Beast. I mean, look at Beauty and the Beast. That is now breaking box office, and that is the. That is the dullest movie yeah. I've seen in a long, no? 
How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? How very dare you? You are um, ruining, ruining my childhood. Let me tell you something. What can you tell when me? When McGregor broke out in Be Our Guest, you should have seen me just looking at the screen, tears in my eyes, mouthing the words, clapping along, sobbing. Nostalgia. Nostalgia. You were experiencing nostalgia. (laughs) I am completely aware of every, every single string they were pulling. Yeah. But you know what? Honestly, I tell people, like, was it a good movie? I said, if the, if the animated movie has any imprint um, in your soul, you're going to love this. If it, if it's not a flash bulb thing Mm -hmm. for you, then I mean, other than Kevin Klein, who was amazing, there's not a lot going on in there. No, no. You know, but I was like, if it has, if the, if you, if you back in 93 saw that film and you were like, oh my God, you are going to love the hell out of this live version. So is the rest I'm of surprised, the world. I'm surprised it's working with young people. Oh, I think it's working with young people, people because young although people I guess, are, yeah, it's the same dribble. It's working with young people also because first and foremost, they're, they, yeah, and they were they were reared on Harry Potter, so yeah. many people are keying in on the lead actress. They love her. I thought she was a waste of space. Um, I just don't think she was good. And the whole time I was like, I know someone's a better singer. <laughs> she did. <laughs> <laughs> we saw this together, and Jess and I leaned over, and we both looked at each other and go. Stronger singers. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Stronger <laughs> singers and performers would have just really brought that movie to the next level. But you know yeah. what was you know what's so funny? I don't think it would have made it more successful. Mm-hmm. I actually think the mediocrity of it is why it works. Yes. Like I think, <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Because it, it's without a doubt. Do you know what I mean? Because if you had somebody who was a more extraordinary singer, that might have drawn your attention to other elements. But when you have something that's just sort of flat. It just—it's like—it's like a—I don't know—it's like safety. It's Look, like safety. I, the, the appeal of that movie was that it was—they were going to tell you the story of Beauty and the Beast, which you already knew. This yep. reminded me a lot of the first. It's strangely enough, the very first Harry Potter movie. Yes. Who, was that, was that Christopher Columbus? Chris Columbus yes. who did that yes. movie. Yes. You know, Chris Columbus. Chris, does movies like Chris Columbus was so <laughs> careful Barry. to shoot that movie page by page of the book, right? That only if you love the book could you enjoy that movie, right? I had read the book, so I was like, oh, my God, that's just how I pictured it. Oh, my God, that's exactly what it looks like. Oh, my God. (laughs) When you make a movie like that, like, you are appealing to that main audience, which is why Beauty and the Beast I thought was great. If you take Beauty and the Beast as a movie, if if you take it as Beauty and the Beast, I give it five stars. If you take it as a movie, I give it three. Yeah, I give it three, and I give it to that because I thought Kevin Klein's performance yes. was he did something different with that character and that whole storyline, and he was his emotional arc was important to me for the film. Mm-hmm. The love story I knew was coming, and I expected it, but I didn't expect to have those feelings about the father. Uh, and I thought he was great. That's that's what gives him the the whole star. And the candle, the, the candlestick guy is that you and McGregor? Yeah, McGregor. He was great. He was yeah, fabulous. Exactly. I mean, though yeah. Kevin Klein and Ewan McGregor were in a different movie. They were in the movie that I had in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and Josh Gad. I think Josh Gad was in the and Audrey, and Audrey and Audra. Audra, Audra was like Audra McDonald. And, 
I mean, it was sad because Audrey was there, and every time she sang, I would turn to Jess and I was like, oh, this is the singing, right? Right. <laughs> and I was devastated when she started singing the end song, and then they made Emma Thompson sing it because oh. like, the Lansbury Mrs. Potts sang it, and I was like, no! I thought that was sweet though when she had the photo. I thought that was sweet when she took over because it was it was quite. Audra could not have delivered that. The she could no because she you know she couldn't she couldn't deliver lack of technique is what you're telling. Yeah. Wow. I'm like reverse recommendation. Two, two, and one. We've gone on too long. This is all getting cut out. It's gone on too long about Beauty and the Beast. Okay. It's part, it, you're going to add it as recommendation. Just start all over and go, okay, so my oh. anti-recommendation is Beauty and the Beast. And here is why. See, I loved it. I <laughs> I, know I, I saw it twice. I oh. saw it twice. I were, you at, it. were you at gunpoint the second? Oh, you know what the thing about you two is that <laughs> you guys are like really smart and I enjoy it, but your lack of soul. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Oh, so, okay. oh. <laughs> it's why we're friends. Like the, fact that, like the fact that you're both empty inside is, just, but anyway, anyway, anyway. So moving right on. Um, all right, so this has been a lot of fun, and let's get into some media recommendations, which is something you saw, heard, or read that you think other people should see, hear, or read. We've been very negative this podcast, so also, <laughs> if you can think of something that you think people should not see, hear, or read, you know, you could share that too. So, Jessica, you're our guest. Why don't I'm you start I'm going to be positive, Chris. Okay. okay. Um, I've been watching <laughs> The Great War on, uh, on PBS, which is part of um, American Masterpiece, I think. Um, and it is frightening how much history repeats itself. Um, it's a three part series. I think I've only watched the first two so far. So I've I've watched about four hours. Um, America is just entering the war now. Um, but it's, it's really well crafted. And if anybody likes any of those Ken Burns, uh, documentaries that get played often on CBS, uh, PBS, um, this is very much in that vein and I highly recommend it. Okay. Good. Um, so my sister and I have been enjoying a television show and I know he's been having a very bad week, John Ridley. However, I don't like black women <laughs> into a, into, to the nearest journalist you can find. I don't write black women, my shit. Like, okay. Uh, we didn't ask you any questions. Like, we don't. <laughs> We so, I know. aren't supposed to be here today, but if that's what you want us to report, <laughs> we're in. <laughs> the long and short of that is I will not be watching Gorilla. However, right. I am watching American Crime, and I'm enjoying it immensely. I really am loving it. And um, I, my sister and I, like, we have dates. We sit down. We watch this thing. And it's it's just a really lovely show. It's on ABC. It is written and produced by John Ridley, so it might be the only thing you might be able to consume from him lately. But I think, he, um, but I, I would lobby for consuming it because Regina King is amazing in it, as always, and um, so is um, Lily Taylor. Lily Taylor oh, is Taylor's very good. She's very solid. Really shows up. 
she always shows up. Show. That's a really good show. It's a little, it's a bit of a meditation on um, people who are trapped in work spaces. Let's just call it that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's cool. Good. Are you going to be uh, recommending Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> um, uh, no. I mean, look, like Beauty and the Beast. Beast. I loved it. I loved it. Whatever. Uh, I'm in the middle of reading, I shit you not, four books right now. Really? I, and I'll discuss them on future podcasts. Can't really get into any of them because I'm not done with any of them. I've just been reading, 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 reading. Um, so I, I'm not prepared for tonight. So I'm going to make anti-recommendations. Things you should not see, hear, read, or consume. Um, I have so many, but <laughs> I, I mean, this is like really local inside pool, but Anastasia on Broadway opened recently. Mm. And I just want to say, I'm a gentleman of a certain age. <laughs> I, I know I'm aware. I don't understand it, but I'm aware that movie, which was not a Disney movie. That movie has, has some sort of like touch point for people younger than me. People love that movie. That movie was garbage, but <laughs> agreed. People, people love it, right? I went to go see the show. Um, my friend worked on it, and he invited me to see it. And uh, I, I can't remember seeing something so bad before. It was really? bad. on Broadway. It was bad. It's hard for Broadway to be bad. Yeah. No, but they found a way. And, you know, and my friend said, like, they're sold out through May. Because I would have left if the tickets weren't free. Like, halfway through, I was like, "Mm, no. But he's like, yeah, it's sold out through May. He's like, people love this story. It was so boring. So, so, so boring. Is that the last daughter story? Yeah. Is she? Is she? Isn't she? Okay. Yeah. Is she or isn't she? It's never quite clear. Yeah. The characters never really commit to whether she is or right, she isn't. Right, yeah. And I, I understand that that might be part of the story that, oh, is she or isn't she? And I think in real life, the story was that there was no Anastasia and then everyone just was pretending. But I mean, in the show, they really couldn't commit. Also, uh, they ha- I guess they had done a rehearsal earlier and the actors, it really showed they were very tired. Mm. Um, and when you can see that you're tired when you're singing, it just makes me feel sad. Yeah. Mm. Like, like, oh, I'm so sorry that I'm here mm. for this. Anyway, don't see Anastasia. Uh, you'll be disappointed. Mm. Uh, hate to end on that note, but yeah. um, with my positive emotion, <laughs> see, see Beauty and the Beast. See yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Fall in love with a tale as old as time. Oh. Mm. <laughs> anyway, Jessica, I want to say thank you, thank you for Christine. being here for the most meandering conversation we've ever had. <laughs> it was great. Hey, I've had these conversations offline, so I'm <laughs> So much fun. I hope you join us again. I. Oh, that that was not okay. Wow. Wow. That's a review, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Hang up now. As always, Trisha, wonderful. Jessica, mm. 
We'll see. We'll wait for the reviews to come in. Anyway, <laughs> good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.